feel at home in this world anymore because of where my focus is. And what a blessing it is to be able to find that oneness with God and that peace of mind. It is good to see you here this morning, both members and visitors. We thank you for being here, for your attendance. We thank you for those who are online worshiping with us, and we just uh, want to do our very best to praise our wonderful, gracious, and kind God. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Merciful and kind, wonderful, magnificent, and awesome, holy God, hallowed be your great and amazing name. We do praise your holy and divine name and thank you so very much for this amazing opportunity, for this beautiful day to be able to assemble to worship you, to bring praise, honor, and glory under your name, to remember Jesus who died on that cruel, cruel cross of Calvary, and to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord God, we know that all things are possible because of your grace and because of your mercy, because of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We pray that you'll help us never to forget the kindness that you've demonstrated and displayed to each and every one of us by sending your Son and by being patient with us, allowing us yet another day to repent, to turn our lives around, to come to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. It will be your will. Amen. Revelation chapter 9 this morning, please. The topic this morning is a simple one. It is, they did not repent. You might, you might say they refused to repent. And we might even think about that in our lives today and think about the church and humanity and the world. How many people refuse to repent? What could God do? What else could God do, maybe, is a better question, to cause humanity to repent and turn their lives around to our great God? Well, in chapter 9, we have the fifth and sixth seal. The bottomless pit is open. Look at Revelation 9 and verse 1, please. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, And the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. Now, whomever or whatever this this star is, it or he has the key to the bottomless pit. And the pit is opened and hellish things come out of it. And this is not the first time. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 8. Or the only time that a star has fallen. I know we get wrapped up in that star. We get caught up in, oh, who's the star? You read the book of Revelation. We're not trying to figure out every single point. We just want to gain an understanding of the message. Chapter 8, verse 10. And the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the the springs of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And a third of the stars became Wormwood. And many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. Both stars fell from heaven. Let's just get the message. Verse 2 of chapter 9. And he opened the bottomless pit. And smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Now that bottomless pit or the abyss, some versions uh, may read, it certainly is representative of, of hell itself, right? The idea of, 
of a bottomless pit means there's plenty of room. That's sad, right? That's scary. There's room. And so it's never going to run out of space. And the smoke that comes from the pit represents or carries the idea of darkness, right? Separation from God. The darkness in the pit. The darkness of our world. And the persecutors are full of this darkness, this filth of sin. And this same darkness that they love and enjoy is the darkness and the evil that will overcome them. It is the same darkness and evil that will absolutely consume them. And so the fifth trumpet contains these hellish, nightmarish things that come out of uh, of the pit. And I want to take a look, if you will, at verse 3. And out of the smoke came forth locusts upon the earth, and power was given them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And this is really important. Adjectives and adverbs that we're going to be listening, you're going to hear like and you're going to hear as often from this point forward in the book of Revelation. When you hear those, realize that we don't have to take it literal. It's like this or as that. It's not literal. The problem is you get into Revelation, you start taking everything literal, it becomes more and more confusing. So look at verse 7. Verse 7 of chapter 9. And the appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads, as it were, crowns like gold. And their faces were like the faces of men. And they had hair like the hair of women. And their teeth were like the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. And they had tails like scorpions and stings. And in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. So this demonic horse-like creature didn't have golden crowns. That's for winners. But he had like golden crowns. And it and it had a a face of a man. And it it had hair like a woman. And it had lion's teeth. And it was protected by breastplates of iron and a tail like a scorpion. In other words, the horse would come galloping and it had a sword in his mouth. And if it didn't get you the first time when it went by, it would get you with the tail. In other words, there was absolutely no way that humans could escape. But what is the point? What is the point of the locust? Why would God use, again, you know, these, these amazing uh uh, you know, creatures or animals or thoughts. Why would God do that? We're reaching backwards to the Old Testament to gain an understanding of the new. So go back to Joel. The book of Joel, chapter 1. The locusts represent the judgment of time, the judgment of God against Rome. So we're going to Joel, chapter 1. We're going to be, begin to read about the purpose or the reason that God mentions these locusts. Why would God mention locusts? Verse 1. The word of the Lord came that came to Joel, the son of Pithiel. Hear this, O elders, and listen, all inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days? Or in your father's days? Tell your sons about it. 
And let your sons tell their sons and their sons the next generation. I'm going to emphasize it. I'm going to come back to that. Let your, tell everybody about it. Tell your children. Make sure they grow up and they never ever forget this day. Alright. Verse 4. What the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. And what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. Awake, drunkards, and weep and wail, all you wine drinkers, on account of the sweet wine that is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has invaded my land, mighty and without number. Its teeth are the teeth of a lion, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has made my vine a waste. And my fig tree splinters. It has stripped them bare and cast them away. Their branches have become white. So there's this great invasion of, of locusts, if you will, upon Judah. And to make matters worse, after the locust comes a drought. And the question is, have you ever seen anything like this before in your lives? And the answer was no. Chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there be again after to the years of many generation. So God says, hey, this right here is so spectacular. It's never happened before. You got to tell somebody about it. Verse three, a fire consumes before them and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them. Nothing at all escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like war horses, so they run. With a noise as of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire consuming the stumble, stubble, excuse me, like a mighty people arranging for battle. Before them, the people are in anguish. All faces turn pale. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like soldiers. And they each march in line. Nor do they deviate from their paths. They do not crouch each other. They march everyone in his path. When they burst through their defenses, they do not break ranks. They rush on the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. Before them the earth quakes The heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. And the Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great, for strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome. And who can endure it? Back to that question, who can endure God's wrath? So God sends this army of locusts, if you will. You ever, I remember growing up in, uh, in, in Maryland and 
And every, I think it's seven years, I believe it is, the cicadas would come. And they were just everywhere, so numerous. And, I mean, it was it was amazing. And when it was over, when that, that uh, catastrophic event ended, that, that, that law of nature was over, I remember walking to school and you'd, you'd hear crunch, 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 because you'd walk on cicadas. It was so many of them. They were not only spread all over the ground, you could no longer see grass, the concrete was gone, the sidewalks were gone, the roads were gone, it was just cicadas everywhere. And what wasn't on the ground was, if you will, the shell was still on the trees. This army of locusts here trumps those cicadas. And it devastated the land. It devastated the land. And then after the cicadas, or the locusts rather, came a drought, and these people suffered because God willed it so. Guess who's next? Rome. But God is not using the idea of locusts with Rome. He's talking about an army of men who will come and destroy them. Now, in Revelation, uh, Joel chapter 1 and verse 3, let me just emphasize this one more time. Tell your sons about it, and let your sons tell their sons, and their sons the next Generation. So here, this message, back to Revelation please, chapter 6. This message has gone on from generation to generation after generation after generation after generation. It was not forgotten. So God says, do you remember that? you remember the locusts? And they'd say, yes, Lord. And he'd say, the way that there was nothing that humanity could do to defend themselves against the locusts. Is the same thing that's going to happen to Rome. Rome will not be able to defend itself. Here's the problem. The problem with humanity, just as, just as Jeremiah this morning in the Bible classes, uh, Brother Scott Raw, just as in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah prophesied, he preached and he preached and he preached and he proclaimed the message of God and he prophesied and he prophesied and he prophesied and the message of God fell on deaf ears and they refused to repent. And Rome's doing the same thing. Church, I wonder if we are like that today. I wonder if we refuse to repent. Though we hear the message of God, though we read the message of God, are we like they, a people who refuse to repent? The question at the end in Joel was, who's able to stand? Who can endure God's wrath? Same question for us today. Who can endure God's wrath? And since the answer is none of us, unless we're right with God, the answer from God is stay in repentance throughout your life. Revelation chapter 6, just a reminder, verse 16 and verse 17. There the Bible says, And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? So they desired death, but God canceled the contract. You will not meet death. You will meet God. Chapter 7 and verse 3, the Bible says, uh, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads, God's people will forever be protected. Chapter 9, verses 4 through 6. And they were told that they should not hurt the grass of the earth 
nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. And they will long to die and death flees from them. Can you imagine being in that position? I mean, where, where it's so, it's so terrible and, and so amazing. And, and these folks are seeking death. But they can't find it. They, they can't even, they can't even kill themselves. They're trying to. You see, the problem is eternal decay, deception, uh, delusion, idolatry, and wickedness, moral darkness, moral decay is a great picture of Rome. And God's wrath will come upon Rome for their wickedness because of who they are and because of what they have done. And so back in chapter 9, uh, in verse 11, God simply has given the wicked over. He says, I'm going to give you over to your own devices. I'm giving you over to your own wickedness. Is this really what you want, Rome? Yeah, unfortunately, they refuse to repent. Sometimes we get so comfortable in our lifestyles that we really see no need to repent. We, we don't see a reason. There's no reason to really repent, right? And then you hear the Word of God, and we can read the Word of God and just gloss over the Scriptures that declare to us that we need to repent. Rome saw no need for repentance. So here's a picture of a fierce and painful enemy that will come upon them. Chapter 9, verse 11. They have as a king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. In other words, destruction and destroyer. I mean, nothing but, nothing but bad, right? A description of, of Satan's work, satanic work. Just, just destruction, destruction, destruction. That's a picture of their spiritual lives. The picture of their spiritual lives was just destruction. They were destroying themselves, their own souls, and they couldn't even see it. Verse 12. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. Verse 13. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. One sang to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. We're going to go back to Isaiah chapter 8 on this because first comes the great locust. And one hears about the locust and experiences that. And what an amazing day it was. And then Rome now. Rome. God speaks to Rome, to the Christians and says, it's going to be like in those days where where it's, it's inevitable that it's going to come. The destruction of Rome. And there's nothing that Rome can do to stop it. And then God says, it's going to get even worse. So he talks about the river, the great river Euphrates. And if you're a Bible student, 
you recognize that when you read in the Old Testament and God starts talking about the great river Euphrates, it refers normally to a nation. Though it's a physical river, it refers to the north. And who's in the north? Assyria. Isaiah chapter 8, beginning at verse 5. And again the Lord spoke to me further, saying, Inasmuch as these people have rejected the gentle, gentle flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoice in Rezin and in Remaliah. Now therefore, behold, the Lord is about to bring them the strong and abundant waters of the Euphrates, even the king of Assyria, and all his glory, and it will rise up over all its channels and go over all its banks. Then it will sweep on into Judah and it will overflow and pass through. It will reach even to the neck, and the spread of its wings will fulfill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. So God says the great river Euphrates, and he says it's even, it's, it's Assyria. And, and when Assyria came through, I mean, I want you to think about the devastation of this worldwide empire. When the Assyrians came through, they're the people who destroyed the entire ten northern tribes of Israel. Only two remain. And they were the rulers of the world. And if you go back and do a study on Assyria and how ruthless they were, it would bring fear to your heart. They were the ones that began the whole idea of hanging skull heads up. And you know, as you walk through the the road to get to Assyria to inflict fear upon the people. They were the ones that would hang up human bodies to show you the power of Assyria. They were a very ruthless and treacherous nation. And God says, Rome, I'm bringing a ruthless and a treacherous nation upon you. So he mentions Assyria, and then he gives us this picture, this image of of what it's going to look like. The idea of their inevitable doom and destruction. God's point is this. Here's the message. The message is this. Don't grab the locusts and say, oh, so God's going to send literal locusts. No. Don't grab the army and say, God's going to send a literal army. God's point at this point is this. There's nothing Rome can do to defend herself. Nothing. So back to Revelation. Chapter 9. There's absolutely nothing that Rome, the powerful Rome, the Rome that wants us to surrender, there's absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing that Rome can do with all of her might, with her double-edged sword, with all of her emperors, there is nothing Rome can do to stop what's coming her way. Except repent. If she would just repent. But she would not repent. So, for that reason, verse 15. Remember uh, last, uh, a few sermons ago, I talked about Jesus. As he said, if I could call, uh, you know, all the angels. And I think the number was 74,000 angels that he could have called. And we looked at the 13 billion people that 74,000 angels could kill based on the Roman legion. Well, watch this. Verse 15. And the four angels who had been prepared for the, for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released so that they might kill a third of mankind. And the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million and I heard the number of them. Now, if that doesn't send chills through your bones, 200 million 
army men ready for battle. And and when you when you look at that, you think about the uh, you know uh, 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 the formation of Rome. That would have been about about one mile wide and and about uh, eighty five miles long. So so imagine little old Rome, and they're going to go to battle, and they look out and they see this army that's one mile wide and eighty five miles long. How can you defeat that army? The obvious answer is there's no way. In other words, the victory of God, the victory of God's people. Is imminent. There's nothing that can stop the victory of God's people. It goes on to say in verse 17, and this is how I saw the vision. The horses of those who sat on them, the riders had breastplates, the color of fire, and of hyacinth, and a brimstone, and the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like scorpions and have heads, and with them they do harm. What what was supposed to happen? What was supposed to happen? Oh, by the way, that, this is not the end of the world. Some folks will say that's the end of the world. Well, we, we haven't had the seven trumpet yet. And when you, if you haven't had the seven trumpet and the seven bowls of wrath, it's not the end. God is showing us picture after picture after picture demonstrating there's no way that Rome is going to be able to stand against the wrath of God. We win. We win. We not only win, we've already won. Hold fast your faith. Be thou faithful until death. What was supposed to happen? They were supposed to repent. What has God done? So God has sent the first trumpet, the hell and the fire. The second trumpet, the great mountains that were cast into the sea. The third trumpet, the bitter water, the wormwood. The fourth trumpet, the darkening of the sun, the moon, and the stars. The fifth trumpet, the nightmarish locust. And the sixth trumpet, 200 million strong army men. And, and their hearts were supposed to be softened. But just like Judah, just like Israel, they didn't soften their hearts. Just like Assyria. They didn't soften their hearts. Just like Babylon, they didn't soften their hearts. Just like the church. How many of us are softening our hearts? To surrender to God. To surrender to the Lord. That's what God's asking us to do. And God has promised to give the victory to his people who overcome. Those who stay faithful to God until the end. So the woes that God is bringing, they represent internal decay. Rome, they've been blinded by their own evil. 
At some point, you can't blame Satan any longer. You've got to take ownership of your own sin. They were blinded by the things they loved. They were blinded by the things that they lusted after. They were blinded by their own pride and arrogance. And those individuals that make up the nation refused to repent. So God will send natural calamities, but they wouldn't repent. Then God would send Rome's outside enemies, but they wouldn't repent. Verse 20, please, of chapter 9. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works, of their hands, so as not to worship demons, and the idols of gold and silver, of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorcery, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. They just wouldn't repent. So may I ask you a question as we turn to Romans chapter 2. Church, is the church anything like people of the past who have heard the message of God, who hear it, who assemble to worship God, and then those who do not? Is the world like the past where we hear the message of God over and over and over again and we know what God says? And yet the world and the church refuse to repent? Why? Why are we that way? How did we become so arrogant and so prideful as to pretend as if our lives are so perfect that we have nothing ever to repent of? That we truly have no need of going to God in repentance. That we truly have no need of saying, I'm sorry to God. That we don't have to own up to anything because we're so perfect. Is that what we are? Is that the picture that God paints for the Lord's church today? And even for the world. And sadly, if the church is like the world, how much worse? And why? Why? Why is God so good to us? Even if we refuse to repent. Why is God so good to us? Sometimes we say, well, because God has been so good to me, that's evidence of my righteousness. Well, that's not a scriptural idea. That is nowhere in the Bible. In fact, that's so far from the scriptures. That's not even in the book of opinions. But God does tell us. He does tell us why he's being so kind. Revelation 2 and verse Excuse me, Romans 2 and verse 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing a wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds, to those who, by perseverance in doing good, seek for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man 
who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. Why is God being so good? Because God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. And so God is kind and generous and gentle and blesses everyone, hoping that we will step back for a moment and count our very blessings and say, praise be unto God and repent. And I close in Second Peter chapter 3. In verse 9. You know, Pharaoh hardened his heart. He hardened his heart over and over and over again. But God's merciful design is, is this. Is, is, you know, he wants us to be saved. But how many people really actually want to go to heaven? You can tell by the way they live their lives. That's how we know. How many of us want to go to heaven? But just take it, take an inventory of your life. And then that's the answer to the question that you might ask yourself. Second Peter 3 in verse 9. The Lord is not, is not slow. He's not slow about His promises. He's not, He's not slack about His promises. As some count, Slowness or slackness. You know, when is God ever going to come? Right? But God is patient toward all men. Not wishing for any to perish. God does not want any man to perish. But He wants everyone to come to repentance. That includes us. And this morning, perhaps there's something in your life that you need to get right with God. Maybe it's something that you, you just need to make it right with God right where you're sitting. Maybe it's something you need prayers for to help you to overcome. And you need to come forward and ask for the prayers of the church. Maybe you have this public thing that you've got to get rid of. Maybe you're not a child of God. Surrender to Jesus. Surrender to Him in the waters of baptism. Having heard His word and believed it, have godly sorrow. Turn your life around. Confess His name before men. Be baptized in mercy and water for the forgiveness of your sins. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and be sealed. Be sealed. That in the end you might go home and be with God forevermore. This morning, if we can help in any way, please come. All together, we stand and sing our song of invitation.